Hello and welcome to another episode of the Paddock Pass podcast. My name is David Emmett from uh, Moto Matters, that's at Moto Matters on Twitter. And with me, fresh from the desert of guitar, is Neil Morrison. Hello, Neil. Hi, David. How are you doing? I am not so bad. And what is your Twitter handle again? It is at Neil Morrison 87. Exactly. I knew it was, but I just uh, thought I would check to see if you'd forgotten it or something so anyway we are going to talk about the qatar motor gp test it was uh it was absolutely intriguing to be perfectly uh to be perfectly frank although why we test in qatar is a bit of a uh a bit of a mystery because it seemed like the the the, the test was from four till eleven uh every day and from about four till about half past five nothing stirred uh under the desert sun <laughs> pretty much i think the uh the only thing that could be heard from Pitlane was the, the rattle of uh, KTM's engines being warmed <laughs> up. Those lads were just trying to maximise track time as much as possible, understandably, uh, considering their current position. But yes, it was. Uh, it does seem quite strange because the race takes uh, takes place so late at night. I think it's nine o'clock uh, local time, and most of the uh, most of the sessions are around that time as well uh, throughout the race weekend. Um, it means that really the track is only. The conditions that you find in the track are only really relative or relevant uh, to the race weekend uh, from about, I don't know, half six, seven o'clock until 10. Um, and then pretty much you see once you hit 10 o'clock and um, then the, the, the conditions get quite dangerous indeed. What happens is the, the, the night dew settles, the temperature and, and uh, uh, humidity drops to exactly the right point for a dew to start forming on the track and you can't see it and people go down heavily. I remember uh, I was there for the test. It must have been 2011 maybe. There were a lot of riders crashing after 10 o'clock going down really uh, you know really really heavily and really quickly and completely without warning yeah i think the same thing happened on friday on the first night of testing uh just after 10 o'clock it passed four guys all went on at turn two within five minutes of each other yeah um and yeah they just put that down to the uh yeah to the conditions the track conditions yeah exactly i mean turn two you've got a cold tire as well uh because you've just come down the front straight you've had uh, you've had a a right hander onto the straight and then a long front straight and then another right hander and then you flick left and um that's uh if there's even the merest hint of something not, you know, a nice toasty track, you're uh, you're in big trouble. <laughs> yeah, Sam Lowe's was one of those crashes, and he said that he went in the lap that he crashed. He went in with one percent uh, uh, less lean angle than the lap before. Mm. Um, so it kind of shows that he wasn't really doing anything wrong, but the conditions had just changed, you know, yeah. almost minute by minute. Um, so yeah, it was quite, uh, yeah, quite tricky, I think, for for riders at that point. Uh, well, one thing the, the 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 track at Qatar is notoriously dusty, and you now it's got a lot better since they've actually finished most of the building around the circuit. But what were track conditions like in terms of dust? Was there a lot of dust on the track? Yeah, I think it was it was dirty. Um, but you know, by the end of the first evening, I think you were were pretty much on lap record pace. Um, so yeah, the first couple of hours were definitely you know bedding the track in and. You know, the first maybe two or three hours, the laps were a good three or four seconds off lap record pace. But I think by the end of the first night, uh, Davizioso was faster than Friday. I think he was more or less, you know, in and around um, the, the sort of official lap record pace from the race in 2015. Sorry, yeah. 16. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it, it, it wasn't too bad, but uh, uh, certainly one of my abiding memories of, of, of Qatar is people coming down the front straight, getting slightly offline, and then it looking like their bike has blown up from uh, from dust <laughs> coming off the track. But it, uh, it wasn't that bad this time. Yeah, yeah. Well, the riders were kind of saying on the first day that, you know, you pretty much had a metre, a metre and a half of off track to aim for and if you got off that then it could be very tricky indeed yeah, um, yeah. but that's it that seemed to improve a bit on uh you know on day two and day three they do it was it was quite interesting because um david Cioso, who was quite impressive over the three days was saying it was a very useful test because they encountered different track conditions in each day um because there was a little bit of um of rain on day two just a you know kind of a light shower and um, you know, temperatures were up different points. Humidity was very different on each day. So, guys like uh, Davizioso, for example, was having to readjust and change his settings on each of the days. And he said that he's pretty sure now that they know how to set the Ducati up for any condition they find at the, right. during during the first race weekend. Um, and I think with that in mind, um, it was even more impressive that Vinales was as fast as he was on every single day in all types of condition. And I think that's one of the reasons that people were getting a little bit, you know, obviously not scared, scared is far too strong a word, but wary, you know, we're just looking at his pace and thinking, my God, that is actually quite formidable. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that, that's certainly the, the, the one thing which really uh, comes to the fore is not just that Vinales is uh, fast over a single lap. He's also got a really strong race pace. And this is now the fourth test in the row where he's been uh, fastest. Um, uh, he is uh, also the bookies. I was looking at the bookies odds. He's really becoming one of the favourites for the uh, for the championship. He's closing in on Marquez. Marquez is uh, still generally the, uh, the favourite for the 2017 championship. But I mean, Maverick has got to be worrying a lot of people. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, when you look at his, he completed a race simulation on the final night um, and he, he tried to do a race simulation in Phillip Island and we all know that uh, that was kind of interrupted by Mark Marquez. This was the first time we saw him doing, you know, upwards in the region of, you know, 18, 19 laps. Um, and it was very, very impressive indeed, much faster than anyone else that tried to do a race simulation. Um, you know, at least a few tenths more or less per lap um, faster. And uh, then there was that that final lap of the of the run, which was uh, a very 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 low, uh, one minute fifty five, um, which was you know actually quite a little bit faster than the laps that had preceded that. So he wasn't just incredibly quick, but he was getting quicker uh, towards the end of that run, um, which is uh, you know which is the sign of someone that is really in a good position in terms of setup, confidence, feeling, everything. He's just sort of. Um Basically, he's ready to go. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And I would say he was pretty much, I would say coming to Qatar, he was ready to go. Um, I think the only thing that Yamaha were um, still contemplating at this test was the the chassis. Um, you know, they have two new chassis, one which is slightly newer than the others. And they've pretty much been testing them back-to-back since Sepang. Um, so this was the only thing still under consideration. Um, and I think they made uh, a decision on the second night, the end of the second night, that the newest one was the, the way to go uh, forward. Um, but yes, there was one or two stories I heard uh, about Maverick. Um, one of our colleagues was watching Trackside on the first night and they saw Maverick taking a variety of different lines into the final corner. And at first it appeared that he was making mistakes, he just couldn't get the breaking point right. And sort of they were told that Maverick was indeed practicing for the last lap of the race, if there was a Ducati or Mark Marquez's Honda or Valentino Rossi for that matter, 
right up his chuff. Uh, he was practicing how he could break later uh, and deeper into the corner without sacrificing too much. Uh, going on to the front straight and that, you know, all important run to the line. So I think, you know, as early as the first day, Maverick was, you know, his setup was pretty much honed and he was just working on little aspects of racecraft and, and things like that. So, yeah, you have to say he's, you know, I still wouldn't put him as the, you know, he's not my favourite to win the championship, but at the moment he's definitely in the best position in terms of, you know, confidence and set up. Yeah, I mean, the most amazing thing about uh, uh, Vinales is the way that he's approached the whole, uh, you know, just just the whole thing, just the whole... Um, uh uh, the whole preseason, he's worked on uh, different things at different times. Um, he's focused, you know. First of all, he at Valencia he focused on uh, setting a fast lap. At Sepang, he started working on his race pace and, and making sure that the bike is good in the uh, in the latter half of the races. Um, he continued that in um, uh, uh, Phillip Island, and now he's working on you know winning the race. The, the methodical approach, almost you know, clinical and cold, which is uh, which is really um, quite impressive. I think he's going to cause a lot of people a lot of problems. Absolutely, yeah. And one of the things that you uh, you didn't mention there was the private test in Sepang, which I also thought was very interesting because from what he was saying at the first test in Sepang, he used the private test in November just to finish faster than Rossi. And it was almost <laughs> as if straight away he was trying to basically lay down a marker in that garage and say, like, look, I'm the fastest guy here. You know how important that is to gain that sort of dynamic in the garage when you yeah. knew. And I think it was really important for Maverick to be as quick as he was, as early as he was. And then afterwards he saw, you know, we've talked before in, in one of the ep the previous episodes, um, you know, we saw Mark Marquez's pace in Valencia and realized, my God, we have a lot of work to do in terms of consistency. And he's used the three subsequent tests in, in Sepang, Phillip Island and, and Qatar to do that. Um, you know, so yeah, as you say, absolutely methodical and not really that surprising when you consider, you know, the character Maverick is. Yeah, I mean, what was up with Valentino Rossi? Because he was uh, quick a couple of times. Second, the, the the second day, I think on Saturday, they found a breakthrough which really made a big difference. And then on Sunday, you know, the feeling seemed to go again. Yeah, it was, it was strange. Um, and, uh, you know, you have to be careful about sometimes reading too much into things. But he made a very, very pointed comment on Sunday evening, which said, you know, we have to say it's impressive how quick Maverick is and how quick his team are at interpreting that bike for the circuit. And it's almost as if Rossi was sort of saying to his own team, like, look, guys, our bike is as fast as, as it is. And we're still, you know, I don't know how many tenths of a second off. Like, pull the finger right here. Um, and I think that there's a part of Rossi where he's almost thinking, my God, it, you know, yeah. Uh, why Why is my bike not working quite as well as his? Um, but no, you're absolutely right. In the second night, he was saying that there was a big breakthrough. He was, you know, lauding Yamaha and the progress that they had made. He actually had a crash, I think, um, fairly late into the evening on Saturday. And both his bikes were fitted with two chassis. And he crashed on the, the older of the two new chassis. Mm. When he went back, they made quite a radical geometry change. Uh, he was on the new chassis. He went out and felt great. And that was it. Yamaha thought, okay, perfect. We've got the definitive answer. We're going with the new chassis. Valentino seems really happy with this new setup. Um, I think he finished second on, on Saturday night. And then, yeah, it just didn't really come together for him on uh, on Sunday. Um, and he was, I think, let's see, he was 11th fastest on, on Sunday night. And yeah. Quite a bit off in Yales. And, yeah, just it's not quite it's not quite worked out for him this winter. Yeah. Um, 
but you know, he's Valentino Rossi, he's a racer, um, he's still got four days, sorry, three days of free practice uh, ahead of him before the race, um, and we know that that Yamaha really is sorted, it, it, you know, it probably is the best bike on the grid at this moment, Yeah, and you know, would you would you bet against Ross, even if, you know, even if he doesn't get this set up right at the first race, you know, he's smart, he'll know not to make mistakes after 2016, and I can still foresee him, you know, turning up at Jerez with three race weekends worth of experience, and, you know, even if it clicks then, it still won't be too late. Uh, yeah, exactly, I mean, the uh, it's going to be all about uh, not making mistakes and um you know exactly as you said learning from 2016 making sure you don't fall off making sure you're uh, you score points and you're in the hunt and then taking advantage for uh, when you can so uh, uh but uh, we shall see now obviously the man to beat is some um, uh, reigning world champion mark marquez however reigning world champion mark marquez finished the test what was it 11th overall yeah 11th overall which is um, got to be slightly troubling, especially when you see that his uh, teammate Danny Pedrosa was actually third overall. Yeah, exactly. And I think the uh, the most pressing matter was the fact that Marquez crashed five times over the three days. Three of those were in the final evening. Yeah, um, and two of them coming right at the end in quick succession. Um, so yeah, it was yeah it was it was definitely a strange couple of days, um, considering how how you know fast and strong Marquez has looked at every other circle we visited over the off-season. Um, yeah, it just wasn't quite working out for him. And to listen to his debrief, to listen to Crutchlow's debrief as well, um, it was as if you were going back in time, you'd jumped into a time machine and were at the the, the debriefs at 2000, and, you know, the 2016 test, because the, the problems they were describing were just pretty much exactly the same. The lack of acceleration out of the final corner meant that they were having to break so late into corner number one. And if you made even the smallest mistake, got offline, lean angle was slightly different to what it should have been, then you would be down the road. Um, and yeah, this was really kind of affecting Marquez, I think Miller and Crutchlow as well. Um, so yeah, you know, I think it's important to, to say that, you know, Qatar in the last couple of years hasn't really been a Honda track as such. No. Um, and you look at last year, and Marcus, you know, had a pretty awful test. In fact, Honda had a pretty awful test, and you know, he still finished in the podium. Um, so I think he kept saying that his pace was good. You know, on the fast lap, yeah, he was having some issues, um, and he was obviously crashing a lot when he was trying to push. But um, yeah, I still think uh, I still think Mark will be will be okay. You know. Yeah, I can still see him fighting for the podium. But yes, it, it seemed that Honda just wasn't quite as strong as it had appeared in other tests. Uh, they've made a decision about which which engine they're going to use, right? I mean, they've uh, they've settled on the on the new new engine, not the old new engine. Yeah, sure, exactly. Yeah, um, they had uh, Jack Miller had both of his bikes fitted with the with two new new engines, as you say, and Tito Rabat had one of the new engines and one of the old new engines, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I think it's safe to say that this is the this is the direction that they're going to take. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was interesting listening to, to, to Cal Crutchlow on the final night because he was saying, you know what, other than the engine, obviously the engine's quite radically different to yeah. to what they were using last year, but really other than the engine, there's not not many changes with the bike um you know from 2016 to 17 um so yeah but i think from the winter as a whole we can say that that's going to be a a very competitive package especially mark marcus's hands oh well yeah exactly because uh, i 
think was it after uh, was it after Philip Island that um, uh, Marcus was saying that basically they were in much better shape now than they were than they had been in uh, two thousand and uh, two thousand and fifteen. So it's got to be competitive. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And you look at at, at Pedroza, for example, in, in thirds. You know he's been strong. He's just been solidly chipping away. Uh, throughout the winter, um, I don't think he's been outside the top six actually in any of the tests. Which no, I think exactly. is- uh, um, really, Danny, because a couple of people who should know have said to me, you know, keep an eye on uh, on Danny. Danny is feeling happy. He's comfortable with the. Uh, uh, he's happy with the change in the um, uh, in the garage with the new crew chief. He's happy with the uh, with having uh, uh, now along uh, alongside. That's really uh, uh, helps him sort one or two things out. Uh, he's happy in himself, and uh, you know that's that's always worth just being just feeling happy with yourself. Can you know that's a, that, that's worth a, a tenth or two. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, I think Pedrosa could be one of those uh, you know a proper dark horse who keeps oh, yeah. all of a sudden sneaks up and starts uh, and is leading the championship before you know uh, before you know what's happened without realizing it almost. Yeah, yeah. It was funny. It was some people um, that I was traveling to the circle with each day. And we were talking about, you know, the idea of aliens in the class and so on and so forth. And someone made the point that there's never been more than four aliens, you know, in the MotoGP paddock at the same time. And I said, well, what about this year? I mean, you know, it looks like Maverick is, you know, absolute elite level rider now. And and they said, yeah, but Pedroza isn't. And I thought that that was a little bit premature to, to suggest that because I, I really share your view that Danny's going to be the dark horse this year. And yeah, I, I, you know, he could be. I don't expect him to win the title, but I really don't think he'll be that far away. Yeah, you don't expect him to win the title, but you do expect him to uh, play a major factor. You do expect him to win races. You do expect him just to, you know, be a surprise. And no, he's not the the top favourite. I mean, you know, when you're going through your favourite, if you if you if it's your own money you're putting on. Uh, you are definitely putting, on, putting your money on Mark and uh, Mark and Maverick, but if you if you were to bet with someone else's money, they're absolutely you would be have a have a tenner on um, uh, on Danny Pedrosa because it could uh, it could pay off big. Yeah, yeah um, sure. Uh, you know, it's it's not impossible. Um, it, it's it's not um, it, it's not the most probable uh, outcome of the championship, but it's absolutely um, uh, absolutely a possibility. And and you know, Danny always plays he always plays a role. Is that a subtle hint to, hint to Jensen, who edits this podcast, to, to allow you to bet with his money, David? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. What I'm saying is... Um, uh, uh, a veal tint. Yes. He's got an MBA, so basically he should be um, uh, uh, he should be going out and borrowing a million dollars and then allowing me to, to plonk it all down on Danny for the win. Yeah, exactly. He was showing me photos of his, uh, of his new motorbike the other night, and uh, I was thinking, yes, Jensen... Put uh, some of that money towards me, and I'll bet it for you in a very, very good way. <laughs> you can have a motorbike of your own. Um, uh, speaking of aliens, um, number five, perhaps Jorge Lorenzo. He seemed to have adapted better, but then again, he was behind his teammate Andrea Dovizioso. I mean, Dovizioso really is getting on better and better with the with the Ducati, but Jorge seems to be adapting as well. Sure, exactly. Um, we, I guess we were expecting this though, right? I mean, Qatar is a track that is just fantastic for the Ducatis. It yep. has been in the past two years. Um, it has been. I think it, it, it always has been because um, yeah, sure. uh, uh, that was when we knew something was up with the 800s when Casey Stainer was just uh, just destroyed everyone. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, so historically it's been a Ducati track, and it's also been a Jorge Lorenzo track. Uh, historically, in the past, I think he's got six wins there in all classes, and he's won um, two of the last three years, or two of the last four years, perhaps. A lot. He's won a lot. <laughs> he's won a lot. Exactly. Thanks, Dave, for digging me out of that hole. Yes, but yeah, yeah both guys were were pretty happy. Um, and Davizio said, Davizio said that the only negative, really, well, other than you know, the fact that they haven't fixed the turning properly and it's still quite an aggressive and, and difficult bike to, to manhandle, to ride over, you know, 22 laps. Um, the only real negative was that Vinales was, was so much faster over a race run than, than he was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, well, <laughs> yes, comes back to the same problem. That's uh, that's darned maverick. But um, yes. uh, how was, um, what was Lorenzo saying about adapting to the bike? Um, he was saying that it was just a, you know the, the track layout really suited um, suited Ducati. The, the straight's obviously long enough for him to have a considerable advantage and make up real time, um, but also just braking going into the corners and being lit in the brakes into turn one into the final corner. He said that he was he could just feel himself gaining. Um, he said that it's still a little bit aggressive on on corner exit. And it's a little bit twitchy. A little nervous, um, but uh, but you know he was right in the mix from the first day, and this was obviously a big improvement because at the previous tests it's taken him, you know, quite a bit of time to build himself up to the final day on day three, you know, to know how to attack the circuit, um, and you know you really have to say that this will this will work in Lorenzo's favor when it comes to the race because he's going to start FP one knowing roughly how to set the bike up, roughly how to ride the bike. And, um, you know, he can then spend the three days, you know, honing the little details. Um, whereas uh, when we go to Argentina or Austin, for example, it, you know, he's almost going to be starting again from day one um, in terms of, you know, changing his braking markers, his apex points and things like that. That's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, uh, certainly uh, Qatar is going to be fine. But what happens when they go to Argentina and um, uh, uh, Argentina and Austin? Obviously, Argentina, uh, the Ducatis were very strong there last year. So you would think that it would suit the uh, suit the bike there as well. So, you know, who knows? We shall, uh, uh, we shall have to wait and see. But it's been interesting to see uh, how he developed uh, during that time. Uh, yeah. Ducati... Also sprung a surprise on us um, <laughs> with their with their rather peculiar looking fairing. Absolutely, yeah, that was probably one of the big talking points from the weekend. Uh, was uh, anyone was anyone expecting it, or was it really was it one of those things like oh bloody hell what they uh, what, uh, everyone run downstairs look what they're doing? <laughs> no, I think it, they were expecting it, but they maybe just weren't expecting you know such a radical. Uh, radically different design um i don't think we've seen anything so far that has been really quite crazy i know the aprilia and the suzuki designs were you know a bit out there but um, nothing quite as extreme as this um so yeah it was it was it was interesting um i think delinio um on the final day was speaking to dorna uh, tv and he was saying that looking at the data it's about basically creates about 50 percent of the downforce that the wings and mm. um, the wings gave the bike um, so that's that's not bad going, um, and I don't think this is the final design. They'll probably do some tweaking, you know, in the in the this week basically before yeah. it has to be homologated for the first the first race. Um, so yeah, so yeah, it's it's, uh, it's definitely interesting. 
Yeah, and it also it gave us the answer to what's actually in the um, uh, in the salad box, that little uh, carbon fiber box on the back of the uh, uh, on the tail. Um, it was always my pet theory that um, what was in the salad box was something that moved from elsewhere to be able to to do something. Now I thought it would be something actually under the under the fairings uh, to do with weight distribution, but it turns out not to be weight distribution. It turns out to be just making space so they can create this um, uh, what people now appear to be calling the hammerhead design. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the, the hammerhead design. Um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it, it was interesting. I was speaking to um, to Aprilia's race boss, uh, Romano Abbasiano, on the Sunday, um, and I was asking him about Ducati's design because I think he's had a, a bit of experience um, with aerodynamics in his past. That's something that he knows quite a lot about, um, and he was saying that when they were told. Um, about these these new aerodynamics rules that were in place for 2017, you know, he, his understanding was, and you know, what Mike Webb and Danny Aldridge, the technical director, have said, it, it has to be a conventional ship. So Albesiano said that what Aprilia designed is, you know, his interpretation of um, a conventional of shape. Yeah, of yeah. a conventional ship, and he said what Ducati brought definitely is not conventional at all. Isn't quite. He was alluding to the fact that it wasn't quite in the spirit of you know the rules. And Aprilia may, you know, subsequently have to rethink their their design um, to make it you know slightly more uh, out there um, because you know Ducati have suddenly almost moved the goalposts in terms of what people think are, is acceptable. Yeah, I mean, there was there was a really interesting interview uh, from um, our friend and your colleague Peter McLaren on Crash.net um, uh, about the aerodynamics today, which I was which I found absolutely fascinating uh, about the uh, basically the way that the um, uh, Danny Eldridge was. Uh, assessing these things was basically what he'd do is he'd take, a, take the outline and then fill in the hole in between uh, uh, with, with like a black marker and that would then he'd get uh, a, an idea of whether this was a sort of a, a conventional shape or not when you actually look at the uh, when you look at the Ducati it's not that it's not as radical as you think because your your eyes obviously are drawn to the great big holes um but when you actually look at sort of the outside yeah it's bulging a little bit but it's not that much of a um it's not that much of a difference yeah because basically the the, the fairing can be wider than you the know, handlebars the, the handlebars yeah exactly and at first viewing i thought no, that's got to be wider you know but actually when you see it in perspective you know, I, I think the first picture that Ducati posted, um, yeah. maybe the, the, you know, the, the, the handlebars weren't visible and you just thought there's no way that that is. Yeah, exactly. The, that, that was a really deceptive photograph because of the, because it was taken from very close up, obviously with a mobile phone. And so it yeah. was, you know, a little bit sort of wide angle and it, sure. the thing looked absolutely massive. But then when you saw people riding it, it looked very, very different. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it's interesting. Um, and, you know, it seems that they've, you know, they basically found a means to, to replace the winglets in a, in a fairly effective way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it did look like a very large aerodynamic surface. Uh, but to me, the smartest move uh, came from Honda because uh, they unveiled their uh, uh, their aerodynamic uh, package. And reading the interview which uh, uh, Pete did with um, Danny Aldridge about the... Uh, fact that Honda's package is sort of bolted on, but because it's bolted on, they can bolt it on and bolt it off. They have one fairing which has, bo which can either have an aero, uh, you know, have winglets on it, or 
have no winglets on it, which is a really clever way. So it means that next time they can also uh, harmla get another fairing with with a slightly different shape, with also with different winglets. So in effect, they've created four fairings instead of just uh, instead of just two fairings. Yeah, yeah that uh, is interesting. It, it did look pretty though. The Honda one. Yeah. Yeah, it did it did yeah yeah. Also helped by the fact that it was black, and very <laughs> sleek, you know. But uh, but yeah, no, I did. I agree. It did. It did look good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right, well, um, uh, I think we shall uh, take a quick break for the moment and then when we come back we'll talk about the uh, other three factories and some of the satellite riders. Hey guys, Jensen here. Just a quick message to make sure you're following the show on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash paddockpasspodcast. All right, now back to the show. Right, and we are back. So, uh, well, we talked about the big three factories, um, but there are three more factories in uh, MotoGP. Now, Suzuki, last year, they won a race uh, with Maverick Vinales. Uh, the bike, it, it looks like a good package. It looks like it's got a little bit more um, uh, horsepower. Uh, what um, what did people have to say about it? What did Ian Oni and, and, and Rince? Because Rince, I mean, Rince was really, really quick at, uh, at Phillip Island, but he was not quite on the pace at, um, at Qatar. Yeah, he wasn't. Yeah, I'm just looking at the final timesheet here, and it says that Rince was uh, 15th. Ian Oni was 13th. Rince was just a, a second off. You know, I mean, we are talking about very fine margins here. The first 18 riders were 1.2, separated by 1.2 seconds, which is really crazy. Yeah. Um, but yes, I mean, uh, I think what you said there, David, I mean, Suzuki really haven't um, changed this package a great deal from 2016. You know, we're talking about some tweaks here and there. Um, they've tried to give their engine a few more horses. They've worked a lot in their electronics um, to try and help with tire life um, and assisting tire life over, you know, a race distance. Um, but it was interesting because Ian only was saying that basically it was just the Suzuki needs to be written in a very specific way and he is still learning exactly how to do that. Um, he was, you know, he was kind of saying that basically his his style with Ducati was to hold the brake all the way into the, the corner, you know, so he would brake and then start turning in and he would still have the brake on and he'd be releasing that ever so slightly as he, you know, got closer to the apex. He said that with the Suzuki, what Vinales did so well last year was brake really with a great amount of force in a straight line, use a lot of the back brake to try and get as much speed off as possible, then release it and almost fling the thing into the corner. And he said the the kind of speed with which Vinales would, would fling the bike into the corner was what was really impressive. So he's been trying to uh, he's been trying to replicate that in some respects. Um, and it's interesting because Alicia Spargaro, when he had heard what Ian only said, I think on Saturday about the Suzuki, he was like, Yes. That's it. He's saying exactly the same thing that I was saying all last year. Um, <laughs> you know, so it seems that the you know the Suzuki, yes, it's a, it's it certainly seems to be one of the easier bikes to ride. But I think um, when you're absolutely on the limit and pushing for a quick lap time, um, and you're not riding in that way that you know Ian only described, then it can kind of bite you. And you know that that shows with just how many crashes he's had. Yeah, but the interesting thing is that it also 
perfectly describes the problems which uh, Lorenzo has had uh, adapting to the Ducati because with the Ducati, yeah, I mean, you know, you have to break all the way to the apex. You know, you break late and you break all the way to the uh, to the apex on the Yamaha. Uh, what Lorenzo was doing was uh, braking early and then releasing the uh, uh, releasing uh, the brake and then carrying the speed through the corner. Uh, and perhaps one of the reasons that uh, uh, Vinales has adapted so quickly to the uh, to the MR is because he's just taken his Suzuki style and it's doing almost exactly the same thing um, and managing to go just incredibly incredibly quickly around uh, uh, around there. So it's it's interesting see hearing. I mean. A being able to piece to mm. piece together the the behaviour of the bikes from lots of different sources, if you like, just uh, from from all these people who switch bikes, which is one of the things which is always interesting when people actually switch bikes. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, but I think you know, Ian O'Neill on the whole wasn't so happy. Um, he said that I think the consistency isn't so bad. Um, it's when he's trying to push. Um, he said he can't take advantage of a soft tire, and that is that has been quite problematic. Um, and but he did say that they tried a very radical setup on the final night, and that went some way to to curing his uh, his woes. He wasn't the most uh, the most talkative of champs uh, no. last weekend, I must say. Um, so you kind of had to just take the little tidbits that he gave you, and uh, you know try and make some understanding of that. Um, but uh, yeah, so it'll be interesting. I, I spoke to David David Brivio on the final day, and he was saying that you know Suzuki's job now is to kind of find a compromise. Ian Ione obviously still needs to continue to adapt and to learn how the bike needs to be ridden. But, you know, Suzuki needs to be a bit more uh, understanding of its rider's needs, I guess you could say. Um, yeah, exactly. I, I, that, yeah. That's what they're, that's what they're working he, on. Ian only was not so uh, was not so talkative because uh, I, he gave you a bit of a telling off when um, uh, when you asked him too many questions, right? Yeah, too many questions being two questions. <laughs> That's so, twice uh, as yes. many. That's that's a a hundred percent increase on one question, Neil. <laughs> I'll have you know. Exactly, exactly. Crucify uh, me, uh, <laughs> lock uh, me up. <laughs> did you get to speak to um, uh, uh, Alex Rince at all? Yeah, I spoke to him on the second day, and you know he was happy. He was just building his way up, you know, yeah. slowly, uh, slowly into it. He wasn't doing anything too crazy, um, but you know, was just uh, you know making little small incremental steps along the way. Um, yeah, uh, right. We were. Uh, you mentioned Alicia Espargaro. Espargaro really seems to be quite happy. He was. Uh, he had a good test. He was. Let's see, fifth fastest on the Saturday night. Um, uh, he ended uh, a little bit uh, uh, further down. He was, let's see, twelfth. So he ended as twelfth fastest. But then again, twelfth fastest just behind Marquez, uh, ahead of Ianoni, um, uh, ahead of Rince. Uh, less than eight tenths off of uh, Vinales, so it it seems like um, Aprilia are making real progress. Um, yeah, it does seem that Aprilia is uh, is in a very good way. Um, it was interesting speaking to Sam Lowe's uh, this weekend because in the previous test he had been riding um, the 2016 Aprilia. I pretty wanted him to kind of get up to speed and, you know, basically find some of that confidence that had left him at the end of 2016 um, while Alish was doing, you know, pretty much the crux of the, the development work with the 17 bike. And, you know, Lowe's was saying that he wasn't expecting the difference to be that big, you know. Mm. Um, he said he thought he could just jump on and have more or less the exact same character. But um, he was saying there's just so much more feeling with the, the front of the bike on the handlebars. You can tell exactly what... Um, what 
what is going on. It gives you plenty of feedback. And yeah, I think it's, it, it allows you to be, um, it allows you to, to break very deep and to be quite quite aggressive with the front end of the bike. Um, and this is something we obviously know Elise does, Elise likes to do. Um, and yeah, we, we saw that on the, the timesheets on Saturday when he finished fifth. Was he still complaining about horsepower? Because I know uh, th- that was one of the things that he's been complaining about at Sepang, and I think same at Philip Island. Is that still the area that Aprilia need to work on? I don't think so. Well, I think that's maybe you know one of the areas that they, they need to work on. But it was interesting. Uh, Spongro said that um, they looked at the settings that Bautista and Bradle were using uh, before, and they came to the conclusion that they were using far too much um, traction control, yeah, and and this was actually having you know a detrimental effect on the power of the bike and the top speed. And uh, so Espargaro said that you know he didn't mention exactly where he did this, but they they turned the traction control way down, and he said that there's no doubt that the bike is a little bit more nervous and it's a bit more difficult to control, but um, the power difference that you know the the, the, um, the power deficit that he found. I think it's a pang he was complaining quite a lot of. Yeah, um, isn't quite as pronounced now. Um, so yeah, so I think maybe the electronics changes that they made were were responsible for that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, and electronics is one of the problems which KTM face basically, basically because they have to learn this whole thing. But again, they uh, KTM have a lot of work still to do. Yeah, sure, exactly. Uh, yeah. They bought a new. They bought a new engine, which they which they've already decided to abandon. Yes, yes, they brought up. They brought a new engine, which I think both the riders tested on the first night, and they said that it was a little bit better with uh, with traction, um, but they weren't really being too specific, uh, too specific with it. Um, but they said that yeah, basically, it's not as much of an improvement as, as what was needed. Um, so they're going to race uh, the first round with, you know, what they've pested with this year. Yeah. Um, and they're hoping for, you know, um, with the kind of feedback that they've given, they're hoping for a revised engine to come maybe in time for Argentina. Uh, were there any new parts which KTM had? I mean, they've already, they bought, uh, they had, what was it, two or three chassis at um, uh, at Sepang. They had another yep. chassis at Phillip Island. Anything more? Yeah, they had another new chassis again at, uh, at Qatar, which both Bradley and Paul were um, were assessing. And they both said that, yeah, it's it's really, really good. Like Paul was quite disappointed, I think, in the final night because he, he just found that the electronics were still a big issue. Um, and in fact, the the top speed, I think, was, was something that Bradley was mentioning. I think there were, you know, maybe 14, 15 kilometers an hour down on the Ducatis along the main straight. So that's something they need to keep in mind. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Bradley was saying that, you know, they brought that new chassis at Phillip Island. That was better than what had gone before. This new chassis that they had again in Qatar was better than what had gone before. And both riders were saying the exact same thing about it. So he was quite pleased that, you know, the rider's feedback was correct and that it was being interpreted in, in the correct way. Um, so, yeah. Um, so I think, you know, we, I think we mentioned this, Dave, in the last podcast. You know, there, there are going to be races weekends where KTM are probably going to be a bit, quite a bit off. Yeah. Um, and then other, other race weekends where they'll probably be in the fight for, for points. Well, you um, saw you saw that to an extent with uh, um, with Bradley Smith because uh, he over the over the three days he improved his time by two point four seconds, which yeah. is you know a massive amount. I mean, the, the first couple of days he looked 
awful. Well, I, I mean, I didn't see him because I wasn't at the test. But he's just in terms of the uh, in terms of the times, uh, he was way way off the back, and uh, you know he was struggling to beat Michalio. But he found a lot of time uh, on the last day and really made a big uh, made a big step forward. Sure, and I think that that kind of shows the different approaches of both riders as well, because Paul is a bit more emotional, let's say, yeah, uh, a bit more all in. And certainly in terms of riding a bit more aggressive. Um, it was funny, Bradley was, <laughs> whenever I, I spoke to him on the Sunday night, I mentioned that Paul had had a bit of a bad Sunday um, and whether it was expecting Bradley to say the exact same thing. And he was like, well, actually, you know, we had a great day. Um, he was like, you know, Paul just does the same thing. He shows up on the first day, he's really fast, and then he doesn't really improve after that, and he doesn't know why. And he was saying that they had just been taking their time with, you know, checking out lots of different little setup changes and making sure that they understand everything that they do. You know, yeah. so every if there is an improvement, they want to know exactly why there was that improvement. And you know, at each of the tests, as you say, you know, it looks like he's been in trouble. But by the end of it, by the final te- day, he's more or less been on the on a par with Espargaro. Yeah, I, I think what's interesting is that you can see why they hired the two of them because pole is you know balls out right from the start um uh, he will push the uh, push the bike and see what the bike will do um uh, uh, and not think about it too much whereas bradley sits there and uh, figures it out and pieces it out and works uh, works through all the data and uh, is 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 methodical and slow and um uh, yeah i mean it's it, it's it, it's actually quite a good pairing yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it definitely is. And in terms of development, I mean, you know, the kind of feedback and detailed feedback Bradley is able to give KTM, I imagine, is a, is a massive benefit to them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, they uh, One of the problems which KTM faces is the fact that um, there are so many fast satellite bikes. Um, <laughs> gone are the days where, you know, a factory bike meant you were sort of totally close to the front no matter what. Um, there were some really, really quick satellite rides. Yeah, there were, absolutely. Is, is Cal still a, a, a satellite rider? Because he seems to be doing all of the <laughs> test work for uh, uh, for Honda now, more or less. I mean, you know, he's, he's basically been used as as a third test rider for the factory team yeah yeah exactly um he'll definitely tell you that he's a satellite rider (laughs) 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 but but i think uh, i think his status is slightly more factory than uh than any of the other satellite riders in the grid maybe with the exception of well uh, petrucci i guess is a a 2017 bike but yeah cal you would have to say is yeah is you know as as factory a satellite rider as anyone else out there yeah uh, and you sort of think that Danny and Mark and Cal are all working together and sort of almost conspiring together to uh, push the development of the of the Honda in a particular direction because they all had this experience last year and the year before where they were promised a uh, uh, you know a bike that would be much easier to ride and they were given a bike that was a good deal less easy to ride so yeah. um, I, I also think they might be working a little bit with their um, uh, uh, their PR to, to put some pressure on Honda. 
Perhaps, absolutely, perhaps, yeah. And I know we've already spoken about Honda, but um, what you said was was quite well. It reminded me something that Cal had said, which is quite interesting. He said in the testing before, now Honda would go to him and say, like, right, Cal, we want you to work on the traction control today. Mark is going to be working on, let's say, corner entry engine braking. Um, you know, so each Honda rider had a set part of the electronics that they were working on specifically. And he said in Qatar, because originally the feedback wasn't so good, everyone was struggling a little bit he said it was pretty much all everyone uh, each man for themselves right um, you know so the kind of the usual uh, program that they've been following uh, was abandoned um, so yeah yeah but yes no you were talking about fast satellite riders I mean Cal was obviously quick um, Scott Redding finally found some some good speeds yeah because because Scott I mean at, at Phillip Island uh, he looks just terrible I mean it, it, it didn't look good at all so what changed uh, he changed uh, the front forks that he was running to um, pretty much the front forks that he was using last year. Um, and he said that the feeling with the front was just, you know, night and day compared to the previous test. And, you know, that they changed that before the first day in, in Qatar. Um, and he was just able to, to build upon that, really. Um, and he actually, you know, he actually did a pretty decent race run on the on the Sunday evening. Um, so, yeah, we were definitely looking at a, you know, much happier Scott Redding than the two previous tests. Um, but then we have to factor in that, you know, Qatar is not only a Ducati track, but, you know, it's a Scott Redding track. He was yeah. second second in the, the, the test in Qatar last year. So, yeah. And I also remember, I think the first year he was on the um, on the oh yeah yeah CR, the, the CRT the bike, the old the old the open whatever the, the, what that thing was called. He was surprisingly quick because he had a really good finish. It was his first year. It was his first year, uh, first race, and he had a really good finish on that. Yeah, bike. he was he was seventh, wasn't he? He was yeah, inside, I think like, so. well yes, inside I think the top he was, ten. Yeah, yeah. Um, and maybe he was right with Nicky Hidden as teammate at that. In that he, race? I, I, I can't remember if he beat him or not, but it was very, very close. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So Scott obviously likes uh, likes Qatar quite quite a bit. Um, yeah. But 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 he was definitely it was it was good because you know you know there were days in Phillip Island where you were a little bit worried, thinking like, goodness me, this isn't going to go well. Yeah. But um, but yeah, there was you know the change of the front forks definitely made him seem a bit more at ease. Uh, I mean, they're, they're, obviously the GP16 is good because uh, Alvaro Bautista were, once again was just outstanding. Yeah, outstanding, fast, consistent. Yeah. Um, yeah, Cal on the final day alluded to someone that normally isn't on the podium possibly being in contention for a podium finish. And I'm pretty sure he was alluding to Bautista because, yeah, Bautista's pace would suggest that, you know, I think in his race run, in the, in the opening laps anyway, he was faster than Vinales. Yeah, and I then mean, and then his pace dropped off quite a bit towards the end. So I think you know we could feasibly see Bautista, you know, running with the leaders for for you know a, a chunk of the, the first race. Yeah, I mean certainly the first half of the, uh, uh, the the first half of the race. I looked at his race run and it reminded actually it reminded me a lot of uh, the things that uh, Dovizioso spent a lot of last year saying, which is the uh, it, they were just working on tire management. They couldn't get the, uh, the, the, the they were struggling to make the tire last because a started I think with a couple of 54s in his race run and he ended up in doing sort of low 56s um, uh, where if I re- 
remember correctly, basically Vinales on his race run was just doing flat 55s, you know, yeah, so, well, yeah. or, you know, mid 55s. Mid, mid, to, yeah, uh, mid to low. Yeah, exactly. All the way through. So if you like, the line has a completely different uh, uh, shape on uh, Vinales' race run. The line is almost flat and um, Bautista sort of slopes up a little bit. So it's going to be, it, it's certainly going to be very interesting. There are definitely going to be times where Bautista is going to be a real thorn in the side of, um, of, of very well-paid factory riders. Absolutely, absolutely, I agree. Again, the real revelation of, of this whole preseason has been the has been the Tech Three boys. Uh, once again, Folger is just just outstanding. Uh, like I, I think I wrote a little while ago when I was at the Jerez uh, Moto uh, Two test which we'll talk about um, uh, a little bit later. And um, I, the first person I ran into was Hervé Poncheral, and he said to me, because um, he wanted to sign Folger for a very, very long time. He, I think he tried two years ago and then last year, um, and that didn't work out. Uh, finally, he, he signed it, and it, 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 people had warned him about uh, about Folger, saying, you know, he's so inconsistent, and you have to have the right feeling in the team. And if he, you know, if you can't create that feeling, then he's no good. Uh, and he's saying now, uh, now Folger's making me look like a genius, um, <laughs> because uh, uh, yeah, I mean, Folger has just just been really impressive. He has, he really has, yeah, and he's shown just what a big talent he is. Yeah, you know. Um, you know that he's just been so fast so soon um yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna be a little reserved in my excitement for folger just because i'm not i don't know let's see let's see the first race and yeah. uh and then you know then i'll then i'll uh, i'll judge him as a as a MotoGP rider but you're right his, his pace has been absolutely sensational and he has been quite consistent as well yeah um yeah. and it, it was it was quite interesting listening to his article one night because we were i asked him you know Okay, we knew Folger was a talent, but you know, did you really think he was going to be this fast? And you know, Zarko was a very pragmatic guy, quite an honest guy, and he was saying that you know, he just he has to accept that Folger is just a lot better at taking a bike to its limits very, very quickly. He said, when it comes to consistency, you know, he'll be able to pretty much do the same time for twenty-two laps without a problem. But in terms of learning something, Folger has the ability to do it quicker than him. Yeah, well, it, it was funny because I said to uh, I said to Poncherel, and I've, I've probably said it on this podcast before. I've certainly written it about twelve million times um, that I expect um, uh, uh, Folger to be sort of faster, quicker. So I expect Folger to be on the podium before Zarco gets on the podium, but you expect Zarco to finish ahead of Folger in the in the championship. And Poncherel said, "Yeah, yeah, everyone says that to me." So, um, um, that is so much for any uh, notion I might have of being a particularly innovative and uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and and fresh thinker. But um, uh, no, it seems that uh, that it really does look that it really does look that way anyway. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, right. Well, I think uh, that's uh, that's going to be enough for the MotoGP test. Now, uh, testing is over. Now it's back to um, uh, the next time the MotoGP boys get on track. It's for real. And so uh, we we shall take a little break. And when we come back, we shall talk about Moto Two and Moto Three. David Emmett here. Just a quick reminder, if you're listening to this show on iTunes, please remember to leave us a review and rate us as it really helps other fans find the show. Thanks a lot. Bye. 
Hello and welcome back to the third part of the show. We're going to speak about uh, the recent Moto2 and Moto3 test in Jerez. And one David Emmett at Moto Matters uh, was at that test and I wasn't. So I'm going to now quiz him a little bit about what was going on. So David, um, let's start, I guess, with, with Moto2. I was looking through the entry list uh, the other day and was trying to come to a definitive conclusion of who was my favourite for the year. And there were lots of names jumping out of me, but no one really, you know, that was there was no one really there that made me think this guy's going to win the championship. And um, was there anything in that you saw in Jerez which suggested that one rider is, is kind of above anyone else at the moment? Not really. I mean, I, I I would pretty much agree with that. And again, I think that's great because it means we're going to have a pretty good uh, we're going to have a pretty good season in uh, in Moto Two. Um, uh, but obviously, uh, we were missing Lorenzo Baldassari uh, because he was suffering some tendonitis, and so he was uh, advised not to ride. And and Baldassari has been sort of fast during pre-season but again he hasn't been that fast that he's you know obviously going to run, run away with it um, Morby Delhi was top of the timesheets or uh, uh, you know first or second for most of the test he was also um, pretty close to the top of the timesheets or you know every t- every session because uh, the way that the Moto Two and Moto Three tests work is they they go out um, uh, each class had basically uh, three sessions a day of uh, of an hour and a half each um, and so they were going out at different they were basically going out at different times it, but basically whether you know morning or afternoon Morbidelli would always be quick and he'd be quick early on and then uh, you know other people some would then go a little bit faster but then Morbidelli would be up to speed um, so t- t- it looks like Morbidelli is really there uh, Miguel Oliveira was very impressive very consistent KTM works really well the KTM was was fast in the morning and he was fast in the afternoon it was fast in the, uh, in the afternoon as well and the the, the conditions were uh, unusual because normally the uh, march test at uh, in Jerez the track temperatures are much much cooler and so there's uh, or there's a lot more grip during the test than there is during the race when you know, May, the sun is out, it gets, the tracks get warm and the track gets very, very greasy. But we had track temperatures, I think, about 44 or 45 degrees, uh, which is quite remarkable for that time of year. So, uh, yeah, the, the the KTM seems to be working. Who was there? Yeah, I mean, Navarro looks, looked quick and Nakagami looks quick. This just, it, it really looks like a really open championship. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm quite surprised to see the KTM or the, 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 the WP uh, um, chassis so far up and so competitive in Oliveira's hands. I mean, this is this is quite exceptional, no, for a new chassis to come in and be as quick as it has been. Yeah, exactly. Well, I try to get response out of Oliveira because I mean, I asked Brad Binder as well, but then Binder, Binder is coming from Moto Three, so he has no comparison. Uh, so I said, you know, was, was there any difference between the how how would you compare the 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 the, the KTM chassis, the WP chassis, and the Calax chassis? And he said, you know, really, there's not that much difference. Uh, the the biggest difference is the engine. You know, the engine is because the engine is the same. It's the engine which has the real, which has the biggest um, uh, impact on the uh, on the behaviour of the bike. And so it was the bike behaved perfectly well. It was doing all the right things. Uh, they didn't have any new parts. We didn't feel it needed any new parts. They were still, you know, be able to, uh, able to work within the parameters that they were given. I spoke to Aki Ayo, and he was so he was really pleased with. Uh, uh, he was very pleased with Oliveira. Very pleased to have him back, and very pleased with the way he was working. 
Um, so that was interesting. Uh, it also, we, we have Suter back as well. Sure. Uh, spoke to Danny Kent, and um, Danny Kent said the, the, the bike is fantastic in the cold, but he says it's a bit like the Michelins. They've got so much rear grip that once the track loses grip, the uh, the the front end starts to uh, uh, starts to go. The, the rear starts pushing the front, and so there was a lot. There were a lot of people crashing uh, uh, crashing on the uh, on the suitors. I think Luti crashed at least once. Suter crashed. I think Cortese was stacked the bike a couple of times. And he, there was, well, there was one time he came off. I just happened to be walking around trackside, and I saw a uh, Cortese sort of crash. And he got up uh, out of the gravel, picked himself up, and he was shouting and screaming and throwing gloves around, and clearly quite, uh, quite upset with the with the whole. Uh, situation. So, uh, the, uh, it looks like the suitor is competitive, but there once the track gets greasy uh, and especially with a new tire then things get a little bit difficult yeah okay okay that's interesting um alex marquez was fast yeah alex marquez was fast i i need to despite the fact they had a fever um uh, so actually to be that quick with a uh, with a fever is really quite impressive i mean i haven't actually i haven't examined the motor two times as closely as i need to to yeah i haven't actually sort of gone through the race runs but it it felt like um marquez would be he was quick over one lap uh, but there didn't seem to be. We would be watching the, the timing screams, and Morbidelli would be sort of at the, at the top a lot. He'd spend, you know, right from the start of the session to the end of the session, he'd be very close to the top of the uh, to the top of the timesheets. Alex Marquez would not be quite so quick at the uh, uh, at the beginning of the test, but um, he was certainly capable of putting in a uh, putting in a fast lap. So it's going to be interesting to see um, when they go back to because. Motor two and Motor three head out to Qatar. Uh, and they start testing on Friday, I think, uh, for a couple of days. So it's going to be interesting to see how they uh, how they get on with the with the track and uh, whether Marquez really can be as consistent be consistent enough to actually challenge. Absolutely, you alluded to Brad Binder before. Um, you know, we we do have some quite exceptionally talented rookies actually in Moto2 this year we have uh, obviously Binder Moto3 world champion we have Jorge Navarro who you also said was, was quite fast we have uh, Fabio Quattararo yeah Quattararo who, Quattararo was really impressive Quattararo was really really quick throughout the test so uh, yeah I mean Quattararo it looks like he's sort of found himself uh, found himself again um, he struggled a lot with the uh, with the, with the, with the KTM. Um, uh, really didn't get on with it, but it uh, it he was he was you know quick with the Calex. So it's going to be interesting to see that uh, how that pans out. Absolutely, yeah. And did you you mentioned um, we were exchanging uh, WhatsApp messages when you were in Jerez and I was in Qatar, uh, asking one another about what was happening at our respective venues. Uh, and you mentioned that Luca Marini was also someone that, that quite impressed you. Yeah, 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 yes. Marini was uh, uh, actually well, yeah. Marini was really impressive, really quick. Um, uh, where did he finish? I think one of the days he finished. Uh, uh, one of the days he finished. Uh, oh yeah, let's see. Wednesday he finished fourth. Um, uh, Thursday he finished fifth. So he was always there or thereabout. Um, it, what was impressive, also, um, what was really interesting about it was, I mean, 
Marini was very mature. He was very intelligent. The the answers he was explaining, all, all the things that they were they were explaining, um, uh, the, the way he explained things showed that he really understood what was going on. Uh, the uh, basically the Mark VDS boys had um, some well new forks, old forks uh, because the chassis of have uh, gotten a little bit stiff or they the, the the chassis went really really stiff and then they've moved back from being quite as stiff as they were in the past uh, and so uh, Olin's are bringing some old forks uh, made for the uh, well for sort of I think two or three years ago um, and these responded a lot better and Marquez and Morbidelli got the uh, uh, got these forks first and then Luca Marini got them I think on the last day of the test and he said that they were you know they made a big difference that they, they, they that helped with some feel uh, but Marini he explained really well really mature and again Danny Kent uh, talking to Danny Kent as well Danny Kent uh, uh, a year in the life of these young men, you know, from sort of nineteen twenty to twenty one, twenty two. All of a sudden, they it, it, there's a lot of a big difference in maturity, and that makes a big difference in their approach. I think, which is, yeah, it was it was like I say, it was a very interesting test to go to just to see these things. Absolutely, yeah. And moving on to Moto three, uh, basically, we have to accept that the biggest storyline in Moto three this year is a certain gentleman returning to the fold. Uh, one that was outcast in yeah. uh, in no uncertain terms midway through 2016. Absolutely, Fernando yeah. back, and it, it was I must say it was quite a joy to see his name so high up the timesheets. Uh, yeah, yeah, and he's really I mean he, uh, speaking about maturity, uh, I think we're going to see this year whether uh, Fanati is um, whether he learned anything from his from his time off. Certainly, he, there is no doubt that he's still got his speed. Uh, he was competitive. Through a lot of the uh, test, yeah, he looked he looked happy enough. Uh, we'll have to see how he reacts to the pressure of, of racing. What was also interesting was talking to people on uh, who've ridden both the Honda and the KTM. The Honda is a, the Honda Motor Three bike is easier to ride. Um, it's, it's well, it, it's easier to, to to jump up and and ride up to sort of like ninety nine percent, and then the last little bit is a little bit more difficult. It's more difficult to extract that last little bit of performance from it, whereas the KTM um, is really difficult to uh, get up to speed on. Uh, but the harder you push the bike, the more you push it, the better it's uh, the better it behaves, and um, uh, you know the the faster you go. Uh, I really saw that with um, uh, Antonelli, Nicolo Antonelli. Um, he struggled a lot through the first uh, uh, the, the the first couple of days, and I went out trackside and watched. And he was um, he looked like he was riding a MotoGP bike. He was climbing all over the bike and moving around and doing all sorts of things. He didn't look didn't look comfortable. Didn't look smooth at all. We also have, I guess, Ineo Bastianini as a rider that has switched teams. Um, yeah. he's now in the the Monlau Australia Galicia setup. How was uh, how was Basti looking? To be frank, Bastia was um, not where you'd expect him to be. You expect him to be sort of like top three or four, but he was mostly outside the top ten, which is um, uh, just not not where you'd expect him to be at all. Um, Especially uh, considering uh, his, his younger teammate Aaron Kennett was what second, I think, or you know, second overall, or there or thereabouts. Exactly. I mean, Kennett's just Kennett looked fantastic. Uh, Kennett ended the uh, end of the team uh, or end of the test in second uh, behind uh, Bulega, and to me, I mean, Bulega just looked 
like the best rider at the test. Um, I think Boulogne is going to be. Uh, obviously, he was good last year. I think Boulogne is, is going to be the champion, or is going to be the favourite uh, this year. He was very impressive. So is is going to be Boulogne. Uh, Canet is going to be is going to be competitive. Bastianini really seems to be struggling, and again, perhaps it's just being in um, uh, in that Monlau team. Uh, perhaps it's a question of of language because uh, Bastianini doesn't speak I mean Bastianini speaks Italian and not from, uh, not much else so perhaps it's just that, that there's some kind of a miscommunication there which is uh, which is not working but that's just speculation on my part I don't uh, I don't know that's it, it it's uh, hard to say but Moto three looks like being a really, uh, really good class. I spoke to John McPhee as well. McPhee was very, very pleased with the with the way that Tester had gone. Um, he's working with Jeremy McWilliams. McWilliams was there as well. Uh, McWilliams was impressed with McPhee's uh, ability to learn as well, and his willingness to learn uh, from uh, what uh, uh, what he was saying. McWilliams was was there acting as a spot. He was going out trackside and telling him, you know, be there, uh, and. You know, do this in this corner, do that in that corner, and what um, uh, McPhee was saying, it, it, it's not big things; it's very, very small things. It's basically, you know, you need to be uh, a meter further inside on the exit of this corner. Um, it was the just the it was the very, very small, fine details uh, that are the difference between being consistently fast, uh, you know, being occasionally fast and being consistently fast. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So I guess it's around about that time, David, where we give our predictions for who's going to win the three championships, I should say. Um, so are you ready? Who, I, do you, uh, <laughs> who is going to win MotoGP um, in 2017? I, uh, um, I mean, the obvious answer is, is Mark Marquez. Um, it, it's hard to see... Um, well, it, it put it this way: Mark Marcus is going to be very, very difficult to beat. But having said that, uh, I can see Maverick Vinales. I think Maverick Vinales is capable of it. Um, so, who's going to win? I'm going to I'm going to say Marquez. Um, but I think it's going to be a really, really tough. Uh, I think it's, it, it it will probably be his toughest year in MotoGP because I think Maverick Vinales is going to give is going to hound him all the way to the uh, to the end of the season. Okay, interesting. And you. Uh, well, I don't want to be boring, but you know, I, I really can't look past uh, Marquez. Just when you consider that he won last year on a bike that was so much worse than the bike he's on now, um, yeah. So I think Marquez is going to do it. But I, I absolutely agree with you, and I honestly think Rossi is going to be there. I really do. I know Rossi has been, you know, has cut quite a frustrated figure throughout most of the preseason, um, but he's just a guy that you can never rule out. I'm absolutely convinced that that Yamaha is a really fine machine and Yamaha have done a really good job in improving all the areas that it needed to. Um, and yeah, I think I think Rossi is he's just going to be there, consistent, chipping away. And, you know, maybe he won't end the season as a guy that has won the most races, but I can still foresee him um, being involved in the championship fight, you know, for a good chunk of the year. Oh, yeah, I, I, can, I can definitely see uh, this going into... Uh, maybe not Valencia, but maybe getting to say Sepang, and there still being three riders, you know, in with a very plausible shot of winning the championship. Um, uh, we can always maybe, hope, can we? maybe even four, but yeah, like, as you say, Valentino Rossi, uh, you know, he gets his Sunday, the 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 the, the Sunday two tenths. 
um, uh, that that always make him competitive. So uh, yeah, he's definitely going to be a factor. But his problem is that he has to beat Mark Marquez and Maverick Vinales. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Moto two, Moto three, uh, Moto two. Moto two is really difficult. I, I really. Because it's going to be such a tight championship, I think if I had to put money on it, I would probably go for Franco Morbidelli, maybe even Miguel Oliveira. I have a sneaking feeling that because I was so impressed with uh, Oliveira's intelligence, with the and and his maturity and his approach, um, I think Oliveira could easily do what. um, uh, Well, he he could be the Valentino Rossi in Moto Two, you know, sneak up on people, not win so many races. think he's going to win some races but uh, I don't think he'll win as many um, uh, races as, as other people but I can quite easily see him ending up with more with more points than anyone else but yeah. honestly there isn't a clear favourite there's just so many there are so many um, really strong and talented riders sure sure okay and the, and the junior class uh, I think it would be foolish to bet against uh, Nicola Boulega um, but I think also I think it's going to be a fantastic year. I mean, you know, well, Moto Three is always fantastic, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, we have uh, we have Bulliger, we have Canet, we have Fanati, and you know that Fanati is going to be in it right till the end. Um, I spoke to, uh, I mean, I spoke to Bo Ben Snyder, and Ben Snyder was very. Again, mature, relaxed. I don't think he's going to be a. Uh, I don't think he's going to be a championship candidate. But he's going to be. He's going to be one of those riders who keeps getting in the way and mixing it up. And all of a sudden, he's. Uh, you know, he's he, the clear favourites are going to think he's a complete pain in the um, uh, in the behind because uh, because he keeps on being there and is and, and taking points away from those. It's yeah. I mean, it's it's a really great championship to to look forward to. Jorge Martin also mm. was. Really Really quick throughout the throughout the test. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, Juan Mir. There's so many. There, there are so many names, but, but I, I think it's going to be between. I really think it's going to be between uh, Bulega and and Canet, and I think we're going to have a classic um, Honda KTM matchup as well. Ooh, interesting. My goodness me, there I was thinking I couldn't be any more excited. For the first round <laughs> and then i speak to you david and suddenly it goes up a further level uh right interesting very interesting stuff indeed yes you'll notice that i have uh i've somehow wrangled my way out of giving predictions from motor two motor three because <laughs> i don't want to be embarrassed um but well if you held the gun to my head at this moment you know we still have an official test to go i find it hard to look past morbidelli but i also think tom duddy could be there because you know he, he did come quite close he came as close yeah, as he's th- ever come in moto two yeah absolutely uh, last but, uh, year uh, i think the difference with the again luti is on the is on the suitor and the suitor at the moment um uh, but, but luti's but luti's not on the suitor he's on the calyx no uh no 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 luti's on the luti's on the suitor hang on wait a minute are you let, sure yeah let me oh no 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 he's on a calyx I don't know why I thought he was on a suitor. I was convinced he was on a suitor, but no, no, no. Well, in, in which case, I take it all back. This is definitely <laughs> Calix's. This is definitely Luti's um, chance. But then again, he, you know, wasn't he wasn't really a factor in this test, which was a surprise. You know, I, I'd expected him to be quicker, but yeah, I mean, Luti, he really he should start the championship as favourite. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And a Moto three, oh God, it's a hard decision. Uh, 
I would have said Bastianini, but for his testing performances now, because it wasn't just a Jerez that he was struggling. I think in the you know there was a private test in yeah. in Valencia as well, and he, he was way off the pace. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, yeah, right. I'm just going to say it, Fanati. I'm going to go for Fanati. Well, someone's got to go for Fanati, and to be perfectly frank, going for Fanati is uh, it, it's not uh, it's it's not insane. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all. So um, yes, good on you for going for Fanati. Okay, excellent. So this is the this is the very moment. This segment is the the very moment that you're going to be listening to in November. So you can kind of send us those uh, those mean vitriolic messages on Twitter <laughs> to, t- to tell us how wrong we got it. <laughs> But, oh you know, yeah, no, 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 yes. no, no. I should be, I should be saving this, and then um, uh, I should be re-release. I should make sure we re-release a version with the correct names of the winners uh, uh, filled in after the Valencia race. Yes, absolutely. Okay, to make us look like geniuses. <laughs> yes. So, uh, so that's really it, I think, for uh, for this episode of the Paddock Pass podcast. David, is there anything else that you'd like to discuss? Uh, no, the only thing I would like to discuss is the necessity for people to leave us a rating and or a review, or preferably both, uh, on iTunes, as this helps other people to find the show. Absolutely. And it's worth mentioning that you can also find us on Facebook, that's facebook.com forward slash paddock pass podcast uh, you can find us on twitter at paddock pass pod be great if you give us a little follow on that to keep up to date with everything that we're doing and i imagine there's going to be uh, there was world, some world superbike action uh, at the weekend i think there's going to be a, a world superbike review show soon with uh, with our colleague Stephen english who was yeah. in thailand Yes, we're going to catch up with uh, we're going to catch up with Steve. See what he's got to say about his exciting travels. I know he was particularly excited to be in um, uh, uh, to be in Thailand. So uh, we shall wait to see what wild tales he has to tell. But excited not for that reason, just to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> okay, exactly. so thanks very much for listening. We hope to catch you next time with the next show, and we'll speak to you soon. Goodbye. Exactly. Obviously, I'll need a shower afterwards. Um, uh, Are you recording by any chance?